Hello and welcome to Feminist Fridays, your weekly intersectional dose of self-empowerment, equality and fun. I'm your host, Sarah Liberty, coming to you from Sydney. And this week we have a guest who is loud and proud. Her name is Francesca Mandea and she's an author based in Canada who encourages everyone, regardless of gender, to use their voice to claim their equal rights in society. But before we meet Francesca, we're going to kick off with a tune called Save Your Tears by The Weeknd and Ariana Grande. Because here at Feminist Fridays, we ain't crying, we're celebrating. I saw you dancing in a crowded room You look so happy when I'm not with you But then you saw me, got you by surprise A single teardrop falling from your eyes Jessica, welcome to Feminist Fridays and thank you for joining us. I, I believe it might be quite early in the morning at your time. Yes, it is. It's 1 a.m. Eastern time here. 
Oh, well, thank you. We appreciate you joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's my pleasure. So let's start by asking a little bit about where you grew up and your early influences. I understand you grew up in Zimbabwe. What was that like? Ah. Uh... Yeah, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, so I, I grew up in violent colonial Zimbabwe. Mm. I was born girl number three um, in a succession of girls. And at that time, um, girls were not regarded as the same or equally boys so I was the girl child who mm -hmm. was not expected uh, instead an heir was expected after two girls oh. in town so I was named in Daisy Way and Daisy Way is a question had I known had I known that I'd have another girl so I know that I was born into the energy of you are not enough. And uh, it was my mother's pain, wow. my mother's disappointment. Well, I certainly think that girls are wonderful. And I'm sorry that that, that was, you know, your early influence. But I hear that you've gone on to do some pretty incredible things. So before we talk about your current work, as an author and speaker, I just wanted to ask about the incident that occurred during your high school years. I understand that at the age of 18, you were assaulted and that that moment has been quite pivotal to your story and your message to others. Can you tell us about what happened that day and what you learned about your own voice? to whatever extent you feel comfortable and how that has influenced the work you do today? Yeah, so um, the story about when I was 18 is just one of them, if I may clarify that. Okay. Um, but what happened that day is um, I was expecting my father to be at school to come and look at my work. It was Parents' Day. We used to call it Parents' Day. So they would come and look at what we have done at school and um, bring food, bring maybe clothing, some gifts for you just to cheer you up and to see how you were doing in school. So I was very excited because I was doing very well. And I was in a predominantly... Um, male school there were about how many girls 40 girls and about 400 boys so i happened to be one of the girls that were selected to be in that school and they used to be very uh, strict about who goes into that school so i was i could say i was pretty good in my academics and that day i was sad that my father had not visited and everyone else almost everyone else at their parents at school. And so when I was crying, I had a little brother in school, but I, I didn't know where he was. He was probably crying in his own 
corner somewhere. So I went into the school garden, and there there was a young man. He was my age, and uh, he came after me. And as I described in Mother Behold I Son, that he violated me with this mm. sense of entitlement, and I could smell the alcohol and just the idea of his body against mine and him doing what he did. And I was scared. I could not speak. Mm. I could not think. And I could not do anything. I just froze. And it seemed like a whole day, but it must have been minutes. And I was asking God, where are you? My father, where are you? My brother, where are you? And somewhere, somehow, I managed to speak and to tell him to get off me. And I pushed him. Yeah. He was big, way bigger than me. And he was known for fighting. So mm. what I used to do was to tell my brother that this boy is bothering me. But with that one, I was not going to tell my brother because he was way bigger than my brother. And I didn't want my brother beaten up. So... What I did is I went to the school authorities and mm -hmm. told them that this boy um, violated me. In actual fact, he was not the only one. In the book, I write about one, but this happened three times, at least three times that I remember. Mm -hmm. And the school told me boys will be boys. And so I knew that I was on my own and I had to fight the system the best way I knew how. Uh, so this was just a recollection of my teen uh, years and how girls were dismissed and how boys seem to have this entitlement to my body, to other girls' bodies without any consequences. And so in 2018, this is when I sat down and I wanted to understand why is it that from the time I was born to primary school, to secondary school, to work, to now, women still get treated unjustly and equally as, I, as what happened to me. So that is how that story um contributed to the, the bigger story of why, as a woman, I felt I needed to write um, the book, Mother Before They Son, and tell uh, at least the significant stories in sort of a timeline um, to be able to help my son not to be like those boys or men mm. in my life who violated me. Mm. Well, you know, I'm so I'm so sorry that that happened to you, and you know, it's it's something that's happening still all around the world. You know, in Australia, we still have a crisis of this kind of gender inequality and violence against women, and we do have something in common. I have survived being sexually assaulted, although. Unlike you, in my case, I wasn't able to speak up 
about what happened for two years. And, you know, when I finally worked up the courage to speak to police, I did seek justice. And after that, I did feel stronger than ever. And it's certainly been one of the biggest things as influence my loud and proud attitude today. But, you know... <laughs> I'm sorry that yeah. it happened to you as well. Yeah. You know, it's just... But I always say I'm a survivor, I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor. And I, I don't believe that women... I don't believe in the word victim. I believe in the word survivor because we, you know, there's nothing stronger than a broken woman who's rebuilt herself to, um, yeah. So I wanted to ask, why do you think that people in this day and age might find it hard to find their voice and speak out against injustices they've either experienced that they've witnessed? Yeah, um, I think in my experience, it, it begins right in the homes at birth uh, when we are celebrated differently and girls are told they are worth less and boys are told they're more important. And um, so the first uh, system that allows gender inequality to continue is the family. As long as we say that what happens in the private sphere is private, we will continue to have the problem because that's where the culture of silence really begins. It tells boys they are worth more. It, it tells men they deserve more respect, more love, even more money in the workplace. It tells women your work is not valued. Mm. It tells women you work around the clock and men can put their feet up. So as long as we have such a system, that pits brother against sister like it did in my case and husband against wife or partner against partner co-worker against co-worker because women are treated differently we will always have that problem i think the power differential we all know that across cultures it's almost universal that Men have more power. Men are in positions of leadership and women are not, no matter how good they are. So there is a system that supports this and that helps to perpetuate this. And as a mother, I was thinking, how do I become a part of dismantling that system? Because as long as that operating system is still working, then we will have inequality forever. So what is my role? Um, when we explore the root causes of inequality, um, we are told that 
socialization contributes to how uh, gender relations pan out. So that pillar of socialization is where, in my experience, a mother comes in. So as long as mothers are not teaching or socializing their children that they are equal, they deserve equal opportunities, they deserve equal respect, they deserve equal pay, then the children grow up seeing how we are treated and they accept abuse, they accept less. And so, and the boys accept that entitlement and power. Uh, sometimes we blame them, but we give it to them by how we raise them. So for me, that system of patriarchy is what allows the power differential that then allows men to, to put women down and to keep them there because they enjoy the privilege of getting things done for them by women. You're now based in Canada and you're an author and you also, do you write the stage or do you perform? I, I perform my, yeah, I, I play an African instrument called Mbira. Yes, and I've, I've done a few performances, although I wouldn't want to think that <laughs> uh, myself as a performing artist, but I do perform festivals, local festivals back oh, in Nunavut, and I did perform back in Zimbabwe with my children. Mm. Um, yeah, so yes, I do perform. Wonderful. So tell us about your first book, Mother, Behold Thy Son. You sort of alluded to why you decided to write that, but I'm just a bit more curious to know about the book and um, the response that you've had to it. <laughs> so the book, like I said, is a gift to my son so that he grows into a man who has confidence conviction and integrity, how does he become that knowing what I know about uh, growing up with males in my time? I wanted my son not to get these lessons just from the world at large without me as his mom teaching him what I know from my experience. What I believe is mothers have power to influence their children. And mothers and sons and even mothers and daughters have a special bond. So when the message comes from to my son, to say, son, if you treat a girl the way that boy in high school treated me, this is how it feels. This is how you will make another human being feel. And we know my son will hear better from me as his mother rather than from other girls who are pleading, pleading with him not to treat them badly. But when mama speaks, boys listen. So I had this deep um, feeling and, and um, conviction that my boy will, will hear me if I tell him the stories. So from my childhood to my womanhood, my son knows these stories because I put them down in the book. And... Um, for him to learn 
bad when he treats women unequally, he will not be a whole man who is going to be happy and operate at his best vision. So it was really for my son. But as I wrote for my son, in my culture, all other sons are my sons, all other daughters are my daughters. So I was writing both to my son and other sons. And so the pain that I learned, I, I, I felt taught me, um, as I was already a mother of two girls, to treat my girls differently, to raise them differently, to tell them that you are enough. And you, you should never allow anybody to tell you that you do not deserve to be treated the same. When I had my son five years later, I had more reason to raise my family um, in a way that made the girls feel they are equal. And the boy, not, not entitled, but an equal, and not also shamed for uh, male issues that had nothing to do with him. He was just born into the system. So as his mother, I wanted to make sure that he knows that. In, in our home, chores have no gender. Everyone does everything. And um, we take care of each other. And if I die, anything that's got my name on it, it's one-third a child. There were three of them, and no one gets more. Rather, they would have to take care of the most vulnerable after getting their equal share. So that was a vow that I made as a parent that I was going to do things differently. So I share these stories in, in Mother Behold Thy Son so that maybe somebody will, would be inspired by my experiences because I, I kind of get a feeling I'm not alone in this pain and in wanting to be better. Yeah. I understand that one of the things you've noticed has been that mothers use their maternal power of love to intentionally teach gender equality in the home. Boys learn how to discern and unlearn toxic masculinity and live as equals with girls. So although I'm an intersectional feminist and I certainly acknowledge that gender inequality continues wildly, widely around the world, I am cautious of using phrases like toxic masculinity because sometimes I think that they can alienate people more than encourage them to feel self-empowered to create change. But what are your thoughts? I mean, do you, what do you think about this term? Mm. So because I used it and the meaning that I attached to it was to make sure that we call things by their proper names. And once it's out there that this kind of behavior where a boy uh, hits a girl because she's smarter in class, where a boy feels entitled to a woman's body, where a, a, a manager gropes a woman because he is powerful, where a husband feels that they can beat up 
a woman and rape them even in the marital home. What do you call that? For us to really know what that is, or for me to be able to teach my son, what name do I give to such behaviors? I'm not naming the person. This is the behavior. So I think I'm, I, that's how I would explain it. But also, because I've grown since I wrote that book in 2018, for the best part of 2018 and 2019, and published it in 29, I'm open to using language that is more friendly, that invites the males to sit at the table and to be part of the solution. But I'll say I still would use toxic masculinity to describe the behaviors that I just described so that it is clear that this is undesirable. Um, I have since changed the course that I'm building to uh, positive masculinity. I would rather focus on how to nurture or to teach boys to exercise um, positive masculinity. I don't know if that satisfies you, Sarah. No, it does. I think that's, um, you know, I think it's really good to understand that you're labelling a behaviour and person because I think, you know, I don't necessarily have too much of an issue with the, the wording, but I know that sometimes men do and they feel like they're being blamed or shamed or something like that. So I'm curious to know what kind of people do you work with and how do you know that you're creating change? You've mentioned your family, um, but yeah, if you have any other examples or case studies you'd like to talk about, feel free to do so. Um, so, so I work with a lot of people. It depends on what I'm working on. If it comes to gender equality, I've worked at the national level with the government of Canada. I was part of the Canada mobilization um, delegation to Women Deliver in Vancouver in 2019, recognized for the efforts that I'm making as a woman. I came to Canada in, in 2015 and entered a competition to write a poem about gender equality. And I won two awards, one for my poem and one for my song. And I, when I applied, um, they looked at the social impact that I've had in Africa and in Canada. And I qualified for a bursary to be one of the um, Canada mobilization delegates for gender equality. So, of course, my work has been seen at a global scale. I don't know what the viewership has been on the little videos that I did, but I, there was a whole social media campaign about um, Women Deliver. And um, I, I have worked as a facilitator and trainer back home in Africa, training um, youth in leadership. And I designed the gender uh, component of the week-long training. And uh, I'm proud to say that the game, the gender exchange role, 
role play that I introduced really posted profound results. How do I know that? Debriefing at the end of the session and knowing how men, young men and middle-aged men realized how much uh, the better women were caring and how they were oblivious to it, even though they lived under the same roof. Uh, them just getting shocked to have an hour or so of walking in the shoes of a woman and then realizing that they have been uh, overburdening their women and going back home, some to spread beds, which is unheard of in African men, and uh, some to iron clothes, uniforms for their daughters, which is unheard of in African men. But when they were touched in their hearts because they got into the position of girls and women, there were changes. So I know because when I design training events, I make sure that I use the head, head, heart, and hand method. I engage people with content and I have the tools to engage their feelings. And after we have done that, we then go on to what are we going to do? So any educational experience ends with what we are going to do. Otherwise, why, why would we be in dialogue if we are not going to do anything differently or have some action items at the end of a dialogue? Mm, as this is a feminist segment, how has feminism been a part of your journey? And just to be clear, I am an intersectional feminist, so I believe feminism is about equality for all, not just right. Yeah, so there we actually agree because if you have read the whole book, Mother Behold Thy Son, you know that I called myself a feminist as well. And I, I, I have done that at the risk of being shunned by my whole community uh, because feminism comes with a lot of negative uh, energy towards people uh, in my culture. Um, it's antagonistic, it's uh, undesirable for a woman, it's unbecoming for a woman to antagonize men and to agonize men and to, I don't know, that's how they see it. But my kind of feminism is that feminism that recognizes that I was born of a man. My father loved me in spite of what society expected him to produce out of me. My mother loved me. And I'm born of a man, I am the mother of a man, and I love men. I am with my husband right now. So why would my kind of feminism be the one that belittles men? And why would it be the one that shames, blames, and guilt trips men? So for me, uh, feminism, the way I would like to experience it is to treat boys and men as real equals. And when I get into my motherhood position, that when I see my children, I am looking at the male child and hoping that they experience joy and happiness and they become their best version when I have taught them 
the things that I think make a good human being, an equal human being. So my feminism is about protecting my boy from the clutches of patriarchy and liberating him so that he doesn't have this weight on him to please society as this tough male, this man who's the provider, this man who's this, it's too much for, for, for us to expect men to live up to the uh, standards that, that are dictated by patriarchy. So I think, I don't know if I've answered you, but for me, feminism is about recognizing that girls and boys, women and men, deserve to be treated equally. And in between those who identify is how they identified also have an equal place in the society. So while I may not have the terminology um, to call myself an intersectional feminist, I believe that gender equality, racial equality, and any equality, social equity equality is something that we all need to work on. No human being should be treated less because we're all worthy. 100%. No, I'm so with you. You've just nailed my definition of feminism. And that's why I do this podcast, because I want other people to just, you know, become more aware of what feminism means and to, I guess, bust some of the misconceptions about it. Because it really is for everyone, I think. Um, yes. Some people maybe get hung up on the name or the word, but when you really explain it to them, it's just about equality for everyone. That's mm. what it is. It's, yeah. So it, I'm so glad that <laughs> we're on the same page there. So yes. it has been wonderful speaking to you, and I feel like I could talk to you for a long time. But I will just ask you one final question, which is where can my listeners find you, follow you and connect with you if they want to read your work or find you on stage? So feel free to plug your website and any social media profiles or your book books here. Okay. Um, so to read my book, they can go on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, .com and look for Mother Behold Thy Son, Francesca Mandea. And um, I'm on Instagram as Francesca Mandea, but um, there's also Mother Behold Thy Son. That's the book cover on my profile. And um, I'm on Facebook as uh, Francesca Mandea author. I also on Facebook as Mothers United. I am. Uh, bring your mothers together to to change the world, uh, to use our maternal power to to change this world. So there's a page, Mothers United, uh, a global social enterprise in the making. I'm working on it, uh, but the page is up, and there's a private group for those mothers that feel that they have a calling to raise equal human beings that will make this world more loving more free and more equal well i really applaud you for your work and thank you so much for sharing your story with us um and i hope everyone i will certainly be reading your book i uh, 
I certainly can't wait to have a read myself and I hope others do too. So thank you, Francesca, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, that has been another fabulous episode of Feminist Fridays for this week. But before you tune out, I'm going to leave you with another on-point track I'm sure you'll know and love. It's Dancing with a Stranger by Sam Smith. And this is the Cheat Codes remix. And here at Feminist Fridays, we don't mind dancing with a stranger from now and then. I don't want to be alone tonight. It's pretty clear that I'm not over you. I'm still thinking about the things you do. So I don't want to be alone tonight, alone tonight, alone tonight. Can you buy the fire? I need somebody who can take control. Oh,